tonight on Sci-Fi Saturday Night, cooking with the Daleks. Enjoy the recipe that will exterminate your species. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the Area 51 Back Alley Freeform Fencing and Sea Coral Exhibition Hall, it's once again clickbait for the years. Welcome to TalkCast 403, our final show for 2018, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Tonight, a second week without meaningful REM sleep for me, making me the host with the eyes painted open. The guy once again passing on the flu shot, taking the whiskey shot. I'm the Dome. The rest of the gang joining the TalkCast tonight in the Peabody Time Tunnel. Sitting in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night Gaming Pavilion and Help Desk, it's our own violent audio virtuoso, Kriana. Who's still refusing to talk but playing games, which is fine. And she's banking back. She's bank. She's playing in the bank of the Dank Dungeons multiply decorated Department of Ebook Printout Redundancy at the Reference Library Annex of Cyborg University's Candy River, California Satellite Campus. Welcome, Zombrarian. Two PSAs this week. Number one, no librarians do not know your Gmail password. And number two, brush your teeth, kids. And that's how my week is gone. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful just seeing how your week goes by the number of PSAs due at the end of the week. It's our last show before, before, before the holiday. Day season and I know uh, what are I they going to do for two weeks without my without my how old people try to use computers at my library stories. Um, I don't know, but I, I know we'll be getting together for for the annual Sci Fi Saturday Night uh, after Hanukkah pre Christmas dinner. From fest. <laughs> yes, exactly. And crawdad cookout. <laughs> I like crawdads actually. I do too. We I, should I, have them. I had them when I was in Louisiana at uh, in New Orleans for some conference years and years and years ago. No, I mean, we this... should have them. We should have them at Christmas. You and I should make the executive decision right now that we're going to have them and at the after Hanukkah before Christmas. Brianna and Drew and everybody. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. It's okay. a crawdad dinner. Crawdad dinner. Everybody like has to dress in costume. I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will work. That will yeah. work. I'm sure everyone will be happy with that idea. Mm. Actually, I'm sure nobody will be happy with that idea, but it's fine. It's okay. So Go ahead and wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll stop interrupting you now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's after Hanukkah, before Christmas, our last show of 2018, and. Um, 
you know, towards the end of the year, we we look go through the the card file of life, which is like uh, all the conventions that we've been to and all the people who we talk to, and, and we look around and go, who did we miss? And uh, <laughs> at Plastic City, like seven, ago, um, I was uh, walking around the incredibly cold ice arena, which shouldn't have been as cold as it was because the ice was still underneath and uh, talking to all the different people there. And um, I stumbled across a gentleman who was just kind of sitting there going, Hey, talk to me. So I sat down and we talked for about 20 minutes, half an hour. I I was suitably uh, interested and somehow until about two weeks ago, Nobody dropped him an email. So nice going once again, Cam. I'd, I'd like to take a few minutes and just for the next 20 or so, uh, talk to our guest. His name is Eric Radvon. Eric, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Can I, I interrupt for a moment? Sure. Cam, we love you, and no <laughs> one else wants to do your job. So please don't get mad at Dome when he says stuff like that. The end, love Zombrarian. <laughs> well, somebody's got to be nice to him. It was your turn. Well done. Uh, Poor Cam. Yeah, I know, I know. He, he takes so much <laughs> abuse from us all. And, and yet he goes to every convention and just kind of enjoys the hell out of being there, which, which frankly we all do. And you were kind of in one of the uh, hot corners of, of the hockey arena there. So that everybody who was actually walking it had to go right past you. And I sat there and I was talking to Cam as we walked in. And I went, what does this guy do? He went, I don't know. Let's go talk to him. So we want, wandered over. And it turns out that, Eric, you, you've kind of done a whole bunch of stuff over the, year. you start, over the years. You started working as a journalist in the Worcester area. Yes, that's correct. Yep. I, uh, I think uh, whenever I talk to someone about my resume or you know my body of work, uh, the way you put it uh, just now, the, a whole bunch of stuff is a, is a good way to put it. So it's been a it's been an eclectic it's, mix here. Um, it's yeah, a melange. Been, Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, that's a nice way of saying uh, a mess. Um, you know, it's a, no, you do a lot of stuff and you no, you've yeah, got, no, I, I've been, cool I've been yeah, I've been lucky to, to, to stay busy. Um, you know, I think I knew early on that I always wanted to write. And the most direct way for me to do that was, um, you know, through journalism, through local newspapers and magazines. So I was able to to jump into that and, um, you know, and, and do that uh, for many years uh, in the area, you know, reporter, uh, you know, editor. Uh, and then, you know, that led to uh, doing um, the feature writing for Worcester Magazine, which is a really, you know, really awesome alternative weekly here in central Massachusetts. It's been around for a long time. Well, I remember Worcester Magazine from years ago when it was just starting out and it was, it was fairly fun then. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got a great history to it. And, you know, it's gone through a few different permutations of ownership. And where I came into the picture was the the newspaper company that I worked for actually purchased it from um uh, I think the the gentleman who had owned it for you know maybe twenty years or so, um, you know, and so then I was brought into the picture at that point and was able to contribute, um, you know, a couple of really great feature articles over the over the years. So, so why 
while you're busy writing these feature articles, uh, you're you're also interested in movies, uh, film, uh, comics, that kind of stuff, and you start to make a transition from writing about uh, hard journalism, then art journalism, then feature journalism, then you start writing about art. And how how did how did you make that transition there? Or did yeah, it just kind of... it's just sort of you know I, um, you know I, I think the thing that editors look for is just someone who can meet a deadline who can work collaboratively those types of qualities and you know I, I think the it depends on the editor of course and their you know their perspective but um, you know it, it's a you know it, it's an effect where things build up where. So you you write about one thing, and if you express an interest and enthusiasm, and you, you have some experience, you know, just working in a you know, kind of editorial or deadline-driven setting, those things can kind of happen, you know. And you know, I think enthusiasm seems to go a long way. If it, you've got something you're genuinely interested in, then you know, the work's not so much work, um, you know, which is a bonus. So, um, you know, I've I've been lucky where I've been able to kind of pay my dues on the sort of grind side, sat in a lot of local government meetings that went into long hours of the night but then you know the the payoff from that is you have a body of work that you can then leverage to um you know explore avenues that you're more interested in personally creatively those types of things and, and the, the great thing about doing any sort of writing like that is honestly it's just the people you meet along the way um just i, I never get tired of meeting new and interesting people hearing their story and, and kind of finding out what the story is that connects all of that so, so the 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 background in in hard print journalism has kind of been the 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 framework from which everything else that you're now doing was built on. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it has. That's a really good way to put it. I mean, I you know, it, it inform it comes up in a lot of different ways, you know, and it informs a lot of the things I do. I think it's like any sort of craft. It's just that's kind of the the boot camp in which I learned my discipline and the you know just the sort of the parameters of of kind of functioning in it and I, I've carried that with me into a lot of different roles that I've done you know since sort of transitioning out of journalism full-time um, you know those that, that set of skills that you learn um, you know going through that uh, you know through that role um, yeah it's, it's stuck with me and uh, it, it's come in handy throughout the years which is great now a, co a couple of the pieces that you wrote for uh, Worcester Magazine. Uh, the one that I really enjoyed uh, was on the 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 art scene, the uh, kind of fringe art scene in in, uh, in Worcester, which when I was there, which was like a gazillion years ago, was just starting out and was really a lot of fun. Uh, but you you also uh, you had another article uh, on uh, uh, hackers. And that article garnered some national attention. Yeah, definitely. So just briefly on the art scene, you know, one thing I'll say about Worcester that probably a lot of folks outside of New England, maybe some folks even in New England don't know, you know, Worcester is the second largest city in, in New England. You know, it's bigger than Providence, bigger than any city in Connecticut. Um, it, it's a massive city. And, uh, you know, it, I will say if Worcester was in North Dakota, it would have three major TV stations. It would be a major media market, you know, but just given the geography of Massachusetts, it's really fallen under the eclipse, you know, of, of the Boston area and sort of gets grouped in with that, right? 
Um, but, <laughs> you know, totally. Worcester, you know, Worcester is definitely um, the art scene there is, is, is lively and dynamic. I think you, you have a lot of um, really cool, interesting people working there in all kinds of different disciplines. The Worcester Art Museum is kind of a central hub for all those folks. There's a great music scene, live entertainment scene. Um, so Worcester, you know, it's kind of like the Brooklyn of Massachusetts at this point, I think, as, as Boston, <laughs> Boston in the Manhattan sense, you know, um, you know, and just the, the prices there continuing to. That's uh, a great analogy, to, actually. Yeah, yeah. You've seen this sort of artistic wave, restaurant wave, all kinds of things coming out there. So that, that's really cool. And it was fun, you know, even years ago to kind of uh, plug into that and, and capture that. And then you know, the hacking article was really interesting. This was kind of a. Uh, sort of a passion project of mine. I was doing some research and, um, you know, I noticed that some of the first federally prosecuted uh, computer hacking crime uh, cases were based out of uh, Worcester. And um, there's some really fascinating stories there with, you know, based teenage hackers who, who were kind of born out of the then, you know, this is mid late nineties. It was sort of the up and coming online gaming community they were kind of born from that and they did some really wild stuff one of them took down a, a aviation tower at the Worcester airport um no small feat you know so uh i wrote a, a great article on that uh great in the sense that i got to talk to some really interesting folks um i talked to a local hacking group uh that, that kind of gathered together and kind of talked about the ethical spectrum within the hacking community you know there's some that do it to, um, you know, almost as a public service, you know, they're, they're trying to expose flaws of others, uh, less, uh, less beneficial. Less benevolent. Uh, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, we had some local professors, you know, with the, with the colleges in the Worcester area, we have some leading experts in, uh, you know, cybersecurity and crime that we spoke to. And then, um, you know, just that, that kind of that whole mix. Uh, and then just delving into the history of those cases was pretty fascinating as well. Um, and then, yeah, the, the Discovery Channel um, or the Discovery Network of channels uh, came calling. Um, you know, I believe the article was published in 2009, and they reached out to me, I believe it was 2010, 2011, um, where they were putting together a television program uh, for their series called, I believe it's called The True Story. Um, they're putting together a, a tele television program, and they, they wanted to source the article, and um, so I got to partake in the program. Uh, you know, I would say I have a face meant for uh, print uh, media and also for podcasts. So it was a- Yeah, that's okay, because I've got a face for radio. It's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So I'm right there with you. So yeah, it was kind of a little you know, weird experience for me, but it was, it, was, it was pretty cool to take part. And it was really neat to see how the, the, the production team took a lot of elements of the article and brought it to life through um, you know, a blend of their own footage and, and uh, you know, uh, animations on screen and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. And that, that was kind of like your first national exposure. How, how did that how did that affect your work, do you think? Um, you know, it, it, it was it was strange. I think what it taught me was, you know, I think when you're at least me, when I'm I'm writing, I'm working on stuff, I'm. I'm focused on what I'm doing now and what's coming next. And I'm not spending a lot of time looking back and reflecting on, you know, the wake <laughs> that I'm leaving. And I think what was interesting about this was to see something that you had written and produced, you know, uh, you know, years ago, um, get picked up by someone as, as an item of interest. And so that, I think that kind of taught me that, you know, with, with writing, 
know, with any sort of creative endeavor or or any kind of work, really, any sort of work in this field, you know, a lot of times the, you know, the we live in this instant gratification society, you know, no more so than now, right? Social media and all that stuff. It's like almost like, you know, you, you do something, you don't see that instantaneous reaction. You're like, I failed, you know, onto the next thing. Um, and, you know, with journalism too, I mean, it, it's a grind, right? Like you're doing, you're on assignment, you're, you're working on that cycle and every week or month or day or whatever your, your beat is, you know, you're starting from scratch every time. So, uh, once you work in that, you're, you're not dwelling on the past a lot. So for me, it was interesting to see someone come back. Um, you know, it kind of taught me like, okay, things that I'm putting out there, maybe nothing happens for a year or two. And then I find somebody, you know, maybe I meet a nice guy at a convention and an ice rink and we have a great conversation. I don't hear from him <laughs> for a year. And next thing you know, I'm on their podcast a year later. So, you know what I mean? It kind of gave me that, that kind of happens. Yeah. I don't you yeah. know why that happens, but whatever. <laughs> Cameron. <laughs> Yes. We're not blaming him. We're thankful no. that he finally found the card. Let me let me say <laughs> let me say this. Cameron stopped by my table at the recent Northeast Comic Con in Boxborough. It's just uh, it was, Oh, uh, that makes more sense then. Cameron swung by the table. Cameron's fantastic. We're having fun beating up on Cameron, but he's great and uh, it was great to see him again and talk to him. So he's he's a he's a booker. He's our wonderful, wonderful person. Uh he works much harder than he should. <laughs> and uh, he, he's fun to do conventions with um, him and, and Trav, who basically runs the convention while we're there. Uh, I don't do conventions without them anymore because they just do a wonderful job for me. Okay. So you're, you're, you're doing journalism. You leave journalism to take an alternate writing career that's not quite as um, doesn't take as much of your mind to do. It, it's not, it's, you know, it's not a painting. It's, it's more of a script. <laughs> you, you, you're working basically in it doing technical. Yeah. I, I would say, I, you know, I think I can honestly say the motivations are lucrative, right? I mean, exactly. you know, the journalism industry is uh is you know it's 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 going through some you know a, a massive sea change right i mean we, we live in this information era you know the the onset of the internet and all the ripple effects of it where you know it's like living through the times when you know the printing press was invented or something so uh journalism you know there's 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 ways to get where you want to be through it um for me it was i had taken it to a certain level you know I, recently gotten married and, you know, you sort of want more things and more security and stuff like that. So, and personally, I, I had always had a, a pretty strong interest in technology and, um, and, you know, like, you know, different, you know, avenues in that. So things just kind of came together and I, I had an opportunity to make the jump into uh, the high tech world and, and I took it and it's been, it's been a great ride. And in an interesting way, you know, a lot of the skills and um, things that, I really enjoyed about working in journalism have come into play in, in the IT world. I mean, storytelling is storytelling, right? And so um, the ability to kind of uh, meet with people, talk with people, you know, I work with a lot of really smart engineers and designers and folks like that. And so to be able to sit with them, kind of hear their, um, you know, hear, hear their stories and, and translate it into something that um, you know, can be read and enjoyed by, by others or, or things like that is, um, is pretty cool. So, 
you know, it's only a but partial you, abandonment of my soul. But uh, right, exactly. Yeah. But it, but as that's going on, and, and you're doing this this very precise technical writing, um, you're you're also uh, getting short stories published in, in anthologies, uh, back and forth. Uh, Generation Nirvana, uh, uh, Colonial Comics Volume Two in New England. Uh, you had the one called the call up there, a lonely place of trying, uh, in, in, was that part of dark horse? Yeah. So that, that's a, uh, that's a, a piece that I wrote and that's, uh, yeah, that will be coming out in, I believe it's May, 2019. It's in a fantastic looking collection called pros and comics, uh, comic cons. Um, uh, so it, it's a, it's a it's a collection of original comic stories, prose pieces, art, um, uh, all you know, all from the point of view of folks who work in comics, create comics, indie creators like myself. We've got some up and coming uh, young names like Brian Michael Bendis is in the collection. Oh, um, that guy, yeah, no yeah, that guy, Amy Chu, <laughs> uh, Jim Zub. So there's some phenomenal which. When I submitted to it, I had a little piece. I submitted it. Uh, no idea that that was the. I, I had no idea who the publisher was. I had no idea about anything. I just I had connected with the editor. Um, uh, so it, uh, you know, and I saw kind of a call for some submissions. I had a piece that I thought would be a good fit and was able to connect. And so yeah, super happy to be included in that project. And um, you know, that you can look for that coming out uh, next year. Early next year. It's a shame how serendipity works, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, just the right place, the right time, talking to the right person about something, and there you are with with Bendis. <laughs> nice yeah, job. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild, and I, I, you know, obviously super grateful again to the, you know, it it all comes down to the editor really. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 their eye and their sort of um, you know selection of things, and you know, so I think. Uh, you know, that's kind of the, um, you know, that's kind of the way that all comes together. And really, it's just kind of finding the, um, you know, like you said, the right place and right time, but also the right sort of alignment of um, points of view and, and appreciation and stuff. So Hope Nicholson is the editor and she runs Bedside Press. Um, pretty fantastic. I believe Hope is based out of Canada, if I'm not mistaken. So um, and, and I think she's worked um, with Dark Horse a few times now. Um, but you guys can um, you guys can look up uh, Hope Nicholson and you'll find the body of work there and um, some pretty cool stuff and I'm super honored and grateful to be be a part of that collection. So we've moved now from journalism to magazine journalism to technical writing to short stories and we're still kind of keeping everything in this same pot and then you take the next great leap forward into comics in 2016. Yeah. So, I mean, I had written a comic story um, in 2012 for uh, the Shakespeare Shaken anthology. It was a really cool anthology. Um, and that was my first comic story. I wrote the story and artist drew it. It was all through, um, you know, the editorial team there who was fantastic. So um, uh, Enrica Yang and Red Silo Media, they've put out a number of anthologies, but that was my first comic piece. And um, so I did that. I did the Colonial Comics uh, with Jason Rodriguez, another fantastic editor. 
um, uh, also wrote a story there that was uh, illustrated by um, Noel uh, Tuazon, who's a fantastic artist. I believe he's based in Canada as well. And um, and the colors of that piece were done by a guy named Rob Krunenberg. So Rob does uh, color art, but he's also an artist in his own right. So in addition to doing these comic stories for anthologies, I was I was really getting into the the, the craft of writing comic scripts, you know, and, and I was I was following um, you know a lot of heroes of mine like um, J M De Mateus um, was the big in inspiration, and um, you know uh, uh, Dwayne McDuffie um, who, who's passed uh, was a, a fantastic uh, resource. He, he used to keep a website where he had some of his scripts for like Damage Incorporated and stuff, some old Marvel series he did. He had those accessible for writers, you know, at a time when it was hard to find anything on comic writing, his website was a really great resource. So I got really into just like the craft of like, I'm going to start writing comic scripts, you know? So I had it mm -hmm. built up, in, you know, and I, I would get these uh, picked up in anthologies and published in those anthologies. And that's all great. Um, but I, I sort of had this, this excess supply of comic scripts and, you know, instead of kind of, you know, letting them sit there collecting dust, waiting for the right anthology to come around, I decided, no, let me just let me just get this thing out myself. So I had a, a four-page story, small, right? And I had originally thought of it as, this is something I'm going to pitch to the magazine 2000 AD in England, the publishers of Judge Dredd and things like that. They have a series called Future Shocks. They're little kind of almost mad magazine style, you know, which they probably hate that comparison, but... Uh, you know, no, you're good. I'm fine. Uh, you, know, four, <laughs> you know, four page kind of short little pulpy stories with a twist at the end. So I had written this story called Voodoo Bird, very much in the spirit of a 2080 future shock story. I had it all enveloped up and ready to send to England. And it just kind of sat there for whatever reason. I never got it in the mail. And I thought one day, you know what, instead of just sending this into the mill, why don't I just do this myself and, and just kind of see what the process is like. So I reached out to Rob, who had done colors on one of my anthology stories, and we were able to connect and he did the art um, and everything for Voodoo Bird, which was a really fun thing. And that kind of, that's kind of how I cut my chops, not just on writing a comic, but really getting into the, the nitty gritty of making a comic. You know, with my previous anthology stuff, I kind of write the story and hand it off to the editors and they do the rest with this. I'm owning the whole process soup to nuts. So a lot to learn about interacting with artists, you know, dealing with, um, you know, printing and the art and science of printing and all the different technical parameters that go along with it and all that stuff. So which brings me to my next question. Um, yeah. When writers are working in the large uh, comic uh, DC Marvel Dark Horse, those kinds of places, they usually have a team and the team works and is very comfortable with each other. Independent comics get produced one of two ways. Uh, you have an artist who's a writer and he knows exactly what he wants. He can draw exactly what he wants. And in the end, he gets exactly what he wants. That is about as rare as you can get. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, the majority of of independent comics are done by people and I, I've found this out by trial and error more than anything else who in some cases are not even within a thousand miles of each other and rarely talk to each other 
<laughs> so you seem to have put together a team with Voodoo Bird that you stuck with for a while. Uh, you and, and Rob and who's it, Micah? Micah Myers? Right, Micah Myers. Yeah. So Micah Myers is a fantastic letterer and uh, graph, you know, he does logo design and, and uh, all kinds of things. And uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's almost like, um, almost like a you know a theater troupe type of thing right you you kind of come together in fact it's very similar to that it's like a film production or something like that you kind of come together for a project you work on it like crazy and then you sort of scatter to the wind and don't say anything to each other for six months but then you come back again and do it again and that's very much the way it's been with the sort of uh you know grouping of, of artists and creative folks that i've been lucky enough to kind of pull together here uh, to make some of these stories, you know, come into reality. So I've got Rob, who I've worked with a bunch and plan on working with again in the future. I've got Micah, who's done pretty much every book I've ever done um, that I've put out myself. He's done the lettering, logo design, and all that stuff. So I'm um, very, very happy to have all those folks, um, you know, in my now, the, exact To some degree, uh, ever since your days of journalism, you've had to work collaboratively with a photographer, with an editor, uh, going back and forth, not feeling complete ownership of what you do because there are always other hands in there. And as a writer, sometimes that can be not only, not only confusing, but very frustrating. But when it comes to putting books like this together and you can sit down with, with Rob and say, this is the feel that I want uh, do you, do you go back and forth with that? Do you, do you get character drawings ahead of time or how, how does, how does that collaborative process work for you? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you, you, you definitely keyed in on something. It is a collaborative process and, and, you know, that, I think that's important for any, any person who maybe wants to look at making their own comics or anything like that, unless you're a, a, a straight up writer artist, um, who's doing it all themselves you've got to embrace the collaborative nature of it. Now there's elements to a story, right? That where I'll sit down and, and there'll be something really essential that I'll want to do. Maybe I'm setting something up on a page that will come into play either in the next issue or, or something like that, you know? Um, but you know, there, there is a back and forth. Now I, I work in a way that maybe isn't typical of most writers. I, I think I'm a frustrated artist at heart. So I'll sit down with a you know, tablet typically, and I'll, I'll actually sketch out, thumbnails of what I'm visualizing. I sort of visualize the comic. I think of it as like I'm holding it in my hands. I can see it. I can see the panels, all that sort of stuff. So I'll kind of do these sort of stick figure drawing type things of of how I perceive things. And um, you know, then I, I sort of package that along, you know, I'll, and then I kind of sit and I refer to that. And I my script is typically a description of of what I've drawn on the page. And I think sure. that helps a lot of artists because I'm, I'm providing them with a... a You're giving them a framework. and Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah, here's the blueprint of things from an artistic level. Now, if they want to get into... I know a lot of comic writers are, are providing, you know, almost like story Bibles within their script of like, here's, you know, four pages on the backstory of this character and all that stuff. I, I guess I don't quite have the luxury of that. You know, I'm, I'm funding these things myself. I'm publishing them myself. I have usually a sense of urgency is typically tied to a show or an event that's coming up. Like, Oh, I really want to get this to have at this, at this event. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm trying to get it done. So I think, you know, I sort of 
try to distill the script down to kind of its bare essentials. Um, the other thing is, I don't think I've worked with an artist from the United States. So that's a huge thing to, to remember is that, um, you know, English is kind of the universal language of, of business. Um, and, and, you know, folks have a good grasp of it, but you need to be really clear, you know, in your descriptive language so that uh, there's no, there's no confusion. Um, you know, so Rob is based in Europe. Um, you know, Noel is in Canada. Um, so the artist on a, a Crisis Vector issue one is Samir Samao. It's fantastic. He's based in Brazil. Uh, and the other artist, Ross Taylor, he's in Kansas City. So I'm dealing with uh, people all over the world. Uh, I want to make sure my language is clear and consistent. And, and when it comes to collaboration, um, there are some things that I'll have in my stories that are essential, that I need to be there. I need to be reflected a certain way. I have no problem with when, uh, you know, a sketch of a page comes back from the artist of saying, you know, panel three, that's not right. What we need to do is this, we need to add that, you know, those types of things. Um, and that's just, that's just the way it goes. But at the same time, and what I really love about comics is I'm looking, for me, comics are a visual medium. You know, I'm a writer, but I love comics as a visual art form. And that's how I experience them. That's how I feel it. I feel the art coming off the page and, you know, it's grabbing you. And, you know, I love what the artists bring to the table, their ideas, their energy, their, you know, what if we did this for this page? What if I rearrange this? What if I, you know, made this character look like, and that's, to me, I, I mean, I've been really lucky so far. I haven't had any major clashes or falling outs or anything like that. I just really thrived off that sort of collaborative relationship with uh, the artist that I worked with. The one, the one thing that we haven't talked about is that you kind of created the, your own little video game, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. And the, yeah. <laughs> Great. And, and the only reason I'm bringing that up is because that kind of rolls directly into uh, the new project you're working on now called Crisis Vector and volumes one and two of that are out already. And it is, it is part uh, Conan. It, it is part uh, uh, alternate history. It is part uh, video game. It is, it is literally as near as I can figure out everything you've done to this point, thrown into a blender and then strained out into <laughs> into this nice so far stream of story that goes back and forth along all those different criteria am i even close no that is you you to be my press agent because that is perfect <laughs> that, is exactly, that is exactly what it is and you know again i think i still kind of have that sort of deadline driven journalist mentality where when I did Crisis Vector 1 and 2, first of all, I entered into production in both on um, both issues simultaneously. And, you know, just it was a thing that happened with artist availability. And I had the two scripts. I, I finished issue one. My intention was then to produce issue one, get it made. Uh, but for some reason, I had this pull to immediately write issue two, which had never really happened before. I usually would write a script, kind of pause, get it made then move on to the next thing. This time it just sort of came to me to do issue two. So I did both issues at once, which uh, I don't recommend to most people because it's a lot, it's a lot to juggle, but we did it and, and it came about, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it, as I look back on, on the two issues as they, as they stand, I can really see that I've produced a sort of love letter to all those things that you mentioned and, and those things that I love, you know, there's, there's eighties action movies in there. There's, sword and sorcery stuff there's i'm a huge video game fan i love 
um, role-playing games, specifically Japanese role-playing games. I'm a huge fan of that sort of weird alternate universe of storytelling that um, that genre has established for itself. So I, I was very much trying to make a comic book that felt like playing a video game um, in a lot of ways. And you brought up my text adventure game, which again, it's just another outlet. You know, I, yeah. I, I just wanted to try to, hey, let's, one, you know, I'm, I'm sort of experimenting with the technology to see, you know, I, I did that all myself, coded it myself, all that stuff. And two, it's just a fun way to, to kind of split up a story um, and put it out there. So it's called Castle Doomenstein. It's a sort of classic green text on black background text adventure. It's free to play on my website for anyone who wants to check it out. But that's, oh, we're, we're gonna, this, this, this podcast is link-tastic. The, the, the listeners are going to be able to find every single thing that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. and, and, and I think that, that it's kind of important because there's a lot of different things going on here all at the same time, including uh, two articles uh, this year in Famous Monsters of Filmland. So, yeah, this is another thing that um, sort of popped up and, uh, you know, the stars aligned and, and, and all of that. So, um, you know, Famous Monsters of Filmland, my first my first job when I was 15 years old was at a comic book store. And, you know, back issues of Famous Monsters. Everybody had that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's just in your DNA. It, it's just one of those things. It's just kind of like it's there. And for me, you would see it and just make you smile. You know, it's just those painted covers of of Karloff as Frankenstein or, or the mummy or, um, you know, just all those different types of things. It's just so iconic for me. And I think for a lot of folks, you know, and, and you know, I didn't realize this until recently, but like uh, the guitarist for Metallica, Kirk Hammond is like huge famous monsters fan. And so, you know, it was really awesome to be able to contribute to, um, to such a legendary publication, you know? And, and so I did two articles for them. It was on, um, uh, John Carpenter's They Live, um, a phenomenal movie. Um, you know, for your listeners, if they don't know, it it, it was, you know, set. Rowdy uh, Roddy Piper, it's one of my favorites. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the late great Roddy Piper, um, who was a, a WWE, WWF at that time, uh, wrestler, uh, was cast as the leading man. Now, keep in mind, John Carpenter had a string of enormous hits. Halloween, um, you know, Big Trouble in Little China. Um, Escape from New York, you know, he, he was a, a big, big, you know, the thing. He had had some pretty massive success um, throughout the 80s. Towards the tail end of the 80s, he cranks out what is essentially a, a B picture um, with They Live, and it's incendiary. And revisiting it now uh, for Famous Monsters was, was really awesome, more relevant now than ever. So that was a great assignment. And then the other assignment for the magazine was the 35th anniversary of a, a what I call a small independent picture. Uh, Star Wars: Return of the Jedi. So I mean, yeah, whatever happened to that that whole? I friend? know. Yeah, yeah. It's a dusty, maybe a you know a video rental store might have it somewhere tucked away in a bottom shelf. Are there still video rental stores? I mean, yeah. I'm dating myself. <laughs> but no, return. You know, covering Return of the Jedi and for famous monsters, what I try to do, and it was really fun to rewatch it through this lens. Um, was was through the kind of the context of of the great monsters of movie history. I'm talking King Kong, you know, creature from the black lagoon. And when you look at return of the Jedi, it's sort of the, the ultimate peak of the analog creature effect era to the point where 
and you know maybe it's because i grew up with it but i never looked at job of the hunt as a special effect i was just like that's job of the hunt like that's job of the hunt you know character character yes exactly alive you know with uh you know with humans and you never really think like oh that's puppet or whatever and uh and then you know rewatching the the film and there's 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 creatures like that in literally every frame of the film so that was pretty cool to go back yeah yeah, you don't figure out that yoda's a uh a muppet until like the third or fourth movie yeah but no i mean it's just so so fluid and organic and and just a lot of really cool stuff there so um holly innerlandy is the editor at famous monsters and um uh, she's fantastic to work with. So again, a uh, huge thanks to uh, to her and the whole team there for having me on board for the um, annual issue. It just came out in October. Uh, you can find it at Barnes and Noble. Uh, your comic book stores may have it. There's an exclusive cover just for comic shops, and I think they can still get it through the previous catalog if they don't currently have it. In well, listen, uh, I know you haven't done a lot of stuff, and we've been really padding the half hour to try and cover, you know, that, that little bit of work that you've done. But I want to yeah. mention a couple of something that's, that's coming up from, from dark horse. Oh, uh, right. No, this is the uh, pros and comic cons that we, we that actually, is that's we, coming up this month. Uh, that will be in May, 2019. Yeah. So oh. we, uh, in the whirlwind here of the conversation, I think we, we captured that a bit earlier, but yeah, that's the, that is the prose piece I did. Now, the title of it, I think I can share the title of it. It's called A Lonely Place of Trying, which for comic fans should ring a bell in the famous uh, Batman arc, A Lonely Place of Try- uh, Dying. Sorry, I'm punning myself. A Lonely Place of Dying is the Marv Wolfman, George Perez arc that brought in the uh, Tim Drake Robin character in the Batman thing. So this is the title of my essay is A Lonely Place of Trying. And what it's about, Dom, is... Uh, being a writer in artist alley and what a weird experience that is and continues to be. And like you said, you, you know, you, you and your team saw me at a convention and you're like, what's this guy do? You know? And you know, I am, uh, uh, you know, I love going to conventions. I love, you know, uh, meeting the artists and stuff, but you know, artists are cool. All right. Let's just be straightforward here. Artists. They're damn cool. fun to hang around. Absolutely. They're awesome. They have good haircuts. They wear cool leather things on their wrists. <laughs> and I don't even know what they do. They're cranking out commissions left and right. People just instinctively flock to their table and they're like, take all my money. And you're there as a writer and people look at you and you're like, you know, every, first of all, everyone's a writer these days. You know, everyone's like, oh, I've got a 500 page epic in my drawer. And, you know, so they want to talk to you about that. And it's just, it's a weird experience to be a writer. I can't sit there and do a commission of a story. Maybe I should try that, but you know, it's just a totally different gig for a writer. I mean, it's called artist alley, you know? Yeah. Am I an artist in my soul? Sure. Maybe, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a completely different experience. So that's kind of what I wrote about for that. And, uh, and again, um, you know, to, to connect with, um, you know, with, with the, with the team there bedside press, um, and hope and team, uh, you know, the collection they put together, it sounds like it's going to be really fantastic. And, and you've got A-list um, comic talent. Um, you've got some writers who are drawing in it, you know, like Greg Pack, I believe, is, is, is drawing a story and, and writing it. Um, you've got writers writing comic stories. You've got artists producing things. You've got folks like myself who just did prose pieces. So a really cool collection um, that's coming out from Dark Horse in May 2019, I believe. Oh, that, I'm actually really looking forward to that because, you know, our booth is in the middle of Artist Alley and I keep thinking to myself, God, we don't have any business being here. <laughs> yes, exactly. You do. I fall into that. 
sort of imposter syndrome thing and you know all of the thing and i think so my uh the the piece that i wrote you know i as i often do i i hand it to my wife when i write something and you know, she'll read it and she'll she'll nod and sort of um, you know, she'll be pretty honest with me. And, uh, you know, it, and she, she got to the end and she laughed, which was good, but she was like, man, that got pretty dark there. I was wondering where it was going, you know, and I was like, yeah, you know, it was definitely, you know, so there's some, uh, I'm, I'm channeling some inner darkness because, you know, it's like you go to these conventions, it's a, you're setting up, it's long days, you're on concrete, it's either too cold or too hot. Um, you know, it's just a lot of physical discomfort and, you know, it's a hard place to plug yourself into and, on necessarily so talk a lot you, know, that. From, you know from from a from a consumer standpoint looking at your body of work i think that should be on your family crest that's pretty dark man because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. do kind of tread in that universe very nicely and it doesn't matter where you start where you end you always i, I everything that i've i've kind of read by you and, and your comics and stuff it's just kind of that's pretty dark man <laughs> you know it's it's uh i swear i'm okay i promise you i'm okay no, <laughs> I'm, 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 not sure what's, I'm not sure what's coming out in the crucible of creation there but yeah i guess i guess they do you know i can say that like, i haven't I've yet to do have a dark story or anything like that so <laughs> um you know maybe that's coming down i've got i've got a superhero thing that i'm kind of working on but you're right. I mean, I look at the kind of scope of work and it's been, um, it, it's been sort of, uh, you know, it's been, a, been a strange mix for sure. And, uh, and I'm just going where, where things are calling me to go, I guess, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the writers that I talk to, you know, the ones that sort of seem to be on the same wavelength I, I'm on or whatever, I've heard similar things where it's just like, you know, you're almost acting like a conduit right from somewhere else and something else sure. and yeah. you know it's just kind of coming out the way it is and it, it you know for me it's you know probably a dangerous way to operate but it's almost unconscious you know it's almost like an unconscious kind of thing and then you you know you're right you know i wonder 20 years from now folks will look back on it and be like man this guy this guy was that was a mess you know pretty damn dark there's no question about it yeah no i do i do kind of you know i like dark stuff i like i like you know kind of i remember finding you know those like marvel uh magazines from the 70s that were black and white and oversized you know find them in like you know a pile of magazines from my uncle or something and you know i was just like what is it it kind of freaked me out a little bit kind of scared me a little bit sort of felt like something maybe i was too young to be looking at all those sort of things so um, you know, I guess I, I sort of enjoy that stuff and maybe in some subconscious level, that's kind of what I'm putting out there is some stuff that's a little, uh, I guess, left of center and maybe a little, little horror tinged here and there. Whatever it is, it's an original voice. It's a fun voice. Uh, I enjoyed uh, talking with you seven, eight months ago. I enjoyed going through your work. Uh, and as, as you move forward, uh, you know, you're, you're a writer and, and, and a creator who I think is, has got some really interesting stuff ahead of him. We've been talking with Eric Radvon. Uh, Eric, uh, I'll probably see you again in a convention real soon. And thank you very much for joining us tonight. Don, thank you so much. Uh, take care. Thank you. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of GraniteCon, Keen Comic Con, 
Plastic City Comic Con, booksandbooze.com, and comicarthouse.com. Visit Comic Art House for all the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. If you're looking for a really great gift book for the coming season, please consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's anthology, My Peculiar Family, on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. My Peculiar Family audiobook is now available on Audible, because that's where they sell them. Our introduction provided by Rob Watts. Have a merry Rob right now is Lawrence made me cry. There's Lawrence a big show in Many thanks for joining the show tonight from the Peabody Journal, the sweetheart of Brianna Lawrence. This is Doug's big GD shared in I know.